Welcome to the podcast of Life Change Church, where we exist to love people to life change. We hope that this podcast is both challenging and encouraging to you. Enjoy the message. That we will continue to follow you and follow hard after you and seek your face. It's in your name I pray. Well, worldwide today, this is a day of celebration in the church. It has been for nearly a little over 2,000 years. Today is known as Pentecost Sunday. It's the seventh Sunday following Easter and coincides with the ten days following the ascension of Christ back up into heaven that the disciples waited for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. They gathered together 120 people in an upper room and waited as Jesus instructed them to. At the age of 30, Jesus began to call people to Himself. He began to call followers and disciples. They were very normal people, very just sort of everyday, many of them fishermen, tax collectors, and others fell in behind Him, unsure of where He was going, but connecting with Jesus deep in their spirits. And He moved them forward over a period of three years. He taught them. He healed them. He did miracles and He led them and He continued to move them progressively forward in their faith. He told them He was going to die and He did. He told them He would resurrect in three days. And He did. He showed up after the resurrection and taught them another 40 days. And then He said something strange to them. He had told them to move forward, to go, to go, to go, and now He said stop. Let me read it to you from the book of Acts chapter 1. During the 40 days after He suffered and died, He appeared to the apostles from time to time and He proved to them in many ways that He was actually alive. And He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when He was eating with them, He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift He promised as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples were sort of infatuated with knowing when Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And and they still were hanging on to that. But He replied to them, the Father alone has the authority to set the dates and times. These are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be My witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you study the church world today, especially in North America, it's often hard to get a read on just how effective we are being. Well, it's really not if you do the hard work. But if you look on the surface and you just kind of look around and say, oh, well, <clears throat> that church is sure growing, or this church is sure growing, or and you base it on nickels and noses, I suppose you could say God is moving a few places. 
I won't belabor the point, but what most Christians in North America have no clue about is the fact that 75% or more of Christians now are not in the United States. They're in the Southern Hemisphere and they're in the African continent. And we still sit here in all of our American arrogance and glory thinking we've got a corner on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What's really happening is, in many places, churches are still turning on the lights and they're still paying the bills and they're still having services. But it's been a long time since the Holy Spirit moved in a significant way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Don't get me wrong. Churches are busy, I get that. But we have to ask, are we doing the work of the Father? What was it that He wanted us to do? And it's very simple. There are churches sometimes that spend a great deal of time on mission statements. And i got to tell you, the mission statement it was already given. You can, you can work on vision statements and how you're going to carry out the mission, but the mission is very simple. Go make disciples. Baptize them and teach them to do what I've asked them to do to, to, to obey my command. There was something more that the disciples needed to do before going out to ministry. And Jesus called them to go, but He, he said you need to wait for something. They were followers of Christ. There's no doubt about that. They had confessed Him. They tried to follow Him. But if you look at the believers, the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and compare them with their actions following the infusion and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no comparison. The weakness, the cowardice, the lack of power or anointing or frustrations that they had, the, the pride, the, the sort of jockeying for position to be first in the kingdom of God, all that stuff was just nonsense. It never happened after Acts chapter 2. They worked together. They they ministered together. They did miracles together. They were filled with God's Holy Spirit. Let me give you a little clearer picture of our need. Every follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what theology they come from, no matter what denominational background, they could be Wesleyan, they could be Calvinist, they could be whatever all those terms are, it, it doesn't matter. Every genuine disciple of Christ will have a moment where they realize there is something that I need in my life. Something, someone, somehow something needs to be different. Without this full surrender of ourselves, we find ourselves living a life of the self-centered person. Oswald Chambers said to be specific, the self-sins are self-righteousness and self-pity and Self-confidence. I'm not talking about healthy self-confidence. I'm talking about self-confidence when you really shouldn't have self-confidence. Self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. 
Richard Taylor said there's an enlarged sense of one's own importance, a desire to have self-honored, a hypersensitivity to injuries, a tendency to magnify the faults of others, an inordinate tenacious love of one's own will, ideas, and plans that causes us to be deeply depressed or violently rebellious or sullenly stubborn when they are repudiated or rejected. This personal examination of oneself is not easy, and it's not easy for me to want to stand here today, to be honest with you. I preached a few weeks ago at a local church here in town, and it was a message on faith, and it was encouraging and hopeful and wonderful, and and I cried my way through it and had the best time of my life, and I knew this was coming about a month and a half ago, and I've said many, many times, not only my wife, but to the Lord, are you sure? Can, Can I just call in sick today? Because it's not easy. If you find yourself with a lack of power to obey God, you're in need of moving forward in the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself in a division of your loyalties when it comes to choosing God over this world, or worldly-mindedness, a scriptural term, you need to move forward. If you find unholy ambitions or affections, then you need something more. If you get bent out of shape and tell everybody off around you, there's something the Holy Spirit needs to do in you. If you're always criticizing other people or tearing them down, you're in need of more. If you always feel the need to promote yourself above everybody else, there's something missing. I have some really good news. Jesus knew the shape His disciples were in. He knew who He called. He knew what a mess they were. He knew uh, that those crowds that were following Him when all the miracles were happening, 5,000 or more in some places that were just nothing more than what happens in today's world. When there's a big splash somewhere, everybody runs to it and they want to be a part of it. And when Jesus was doing miracles and people were getting something from it, then they followed. But when He said, pick up your cross and follow Me, they weren't so interested. Especially when He demonstrated what that means when he died on a cross in front of them. So you know what he wound up with? The thousands were gone. He wound up with 120 people who said, I'll still follow. And they went into an upper room at Jesus urging as he went back up into heaven and began to pray and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to go down that trail today. That's a whole there are so many facets of the Holy Spirit and what He is and what we should be and, and all those things. I'm going to try to keep it very narrowed. But who is the Holy Spirit and what should He be doing in your life and mine? First thing I want you to understand is He provides His presence for our support. In John chapter 14, even in 15, 16, before He prayed for the disciples in chapter 17, Jesus knew His hour had come. Always before He had said, my hour had not come, or His hour had not come. People would come to take Him and and, and arrest Him, and it would say they could not because His hour had not come. And then in John 13, 14, somewhere in there, it changes, and it says He knew His hour had come. In other words, the cross was coming. And so He began to teach intently, intentionally, His disciples. He was trying to get that last cram session in, into them to say, these are the things that are important. And this is what he said. He said, and the Scriptures are on the screen, I'm not going to have all the words, but he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Let me read that again. If you love me, obey my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father and He'll give you another Advocate, capital A, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. John 14, 26, when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now we know how that worked for the early disciples. They were reminded of what they heard Jesus say. How does it work for you and I? We're reminded of what we've read. You take in the Word of God. You read the Word of God. You let it become part of your life and you take it in on a daily basis. You may not think you've memorized anything, but at the right moment, the Spirit of God will go through the files of your mind and your brain and pull out a scripture or a thought. That's how it works because the Holy Spirit has that ability. He said to them in John 16, I'm going away to the one who sent me. Not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I, if I don't go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter will not come. And he went on to teach them. The question for me as I've worked through this message has begun to be, how do I live out my life daily through the power of the Spirit? Do you just go through your day and hope for the best? Or do you live each moment in every circumstance aware of the presence of Jesus? The Holy Spirit of God, when given the chance to live in you fully, will hold nothing back. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will convict you. He will remind you daily of what Jesus demands and wants from you. When you're living the surrendered life, the least offense will cause you to pause and allow God to change you from the inside. I'm not talking about some hypersensitivity that just makes you so you can't ever function and you're worried about the fact that you've grieved God. But you'll know, you know, you know when you step away one step or two steps or five steps or you allow something into your life and you know it's clearly not biblical, not Scripture, and there's, there's something, even if the Holy Spirit is just around you, you know because you're convicted. And you pause if you surrender to God and say, Lord, don't let me go down that trail ever again. Change my heart, O oh God. He provides His power for our service, does the Holy Spirit. A hundred years ago, A.W. Tozer wrote this, and if it was true a hundred years ago, this could be magnified a thousand times. He said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. The Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church. 95% of what they did would have stopped and everyone would have known the difference. In some areas of the faith community, much is made of the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some gifts that are ascribed to the Spirit. They're wonderful gifts. There are people who want gifts sometimes to draw attention to themselves, but those are not godly people. But let me just remind you, the gifts of things like the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, of healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, gift of languages, the gift of administration, the gift of helps. I pulled up the theological, I don't know what they call them, fundamental truths of the denomination that this, this church is affiliated with. 
and describing what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, four things, an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to His work, a more active love for Christ, for His Word, and for the lost. Well, those are pretty good things. You see, I stand before you today with a broken heart. I, I shouldn't have one. I'm not your pastor. I'm not trying to be your pastor. But I know what it is to be a pastor. I know what it is to stand with the responsibility of receiving a message from God and having to deliver it to people knowing full well, like the prophets of old, that some will laugh and some will say whatever and some will say, yeah, maybe, and some will say, oh God, help me. And you just have to live with it. Every believer is called. Every believer is gifted. We're told to make disciples. We're told to baptize. We're told to teach them. We're told not to love this world or the things that are in this world. We're told we could be, we could be different than the culture around us. I'm trying to be sensational this morning. When I say I'm broken, it's because I've been as affected by this world as anybody in here. It's hard to live in a society and a culture that is so full of sin. And what happens oftentimes is the church tries to find, not this church, any church, tries to find a way to accommodate living in a culture that's filled with sin. And before you know it, we've kind of just said, well, well, that's probably okay. Well, that'll be okay. Well, you know, well, we can't, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, we'll just, pretty soon there's no reason to even ask people to be saved. <laughs> there's nothing to call them to. The life doesn't change. You go right on living however you've been living. Look like the world. Act like the world. Talk like the world. We have no filters on what we take in, oftentimes through our eyes and our ears. Please, please let the Holy Spirit speak to us in our hearts. Sometimes people, even in the church, watch all the filth that Hollywood could produce and we think it has no effect on us. And I want to tell you, it does have an effect. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. What do you think grieves the Holy Spirit? Things that are impure, things that are not righteous, things that are filthy, things that are obscene, things that the church has no right to participate in. The silence of the church about what media has done and is doing to destroy our souls and effectiveness and usefulness is startling to say the least. In most cases, we live so far away from the biblical teaching of godliness and righteous living that it's hard to distinguish between the believer and the non-believer. Now, I thought when I was preparing this message, I would have some really great words of my own, and then I started reading the Word. I'm not going to read as much as I did in the first service, but I got into Ephesians chapter 4, and I began to read about what it's like to be led by the Spirit to renew your thoughts and attitudes, to put on your new nature. He was writing this, Paul was, to a church full of new believers. Stop telling lies. Let, let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all part of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down where you're still angry. For anger anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. You say, what, this was to church people? Well, this was to new believers. And then he gets even a little more close. 
Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. I thought that was all great. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And I thought, well, that's really good. And then I went on to chapter 5. I don't think there should have been a break here. Because it says imitate God in everything you do. Because you're His dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us, offered Himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma. Therefore, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. I'll let you sort that out with your theological whims and persuasions. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. I'm going to just stop with that scripture. Let me just ask you, how do you think Jesus would have responded if the original 120 that burst out of the upper room and started the church with the power and the anointing of God, instead of living that way, sold out 100%, given to God 100%, would sort of emulated what most of us are today? I don't think the church would have survived. What I'm, what I'm suggesting to you today is there ought to be a deep hunger in every person in this room. I don't care who it is, including myself. People watching on the internet, if you, if you know God, if you know Christ, there ought to be an intense hunger in us every day to say, Lord, don't let me live in a way that grieves the Spirit of God, but fill me with your Spirit, Lord. I want to live out my life on this earth to be used by you, to do your will, to be your grace. This series that Corbin's in is about moving forward. I don't know of any bigger step you can take than surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is about power. I read an illustration a few years ago that talked about 10 gallons of gas. And if you drop a match in 10 gallons of gas, don't do that, by the way, ever. What will happen if you drop a match into 10 gallons of gas? It will explode immediately. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, but you can only do it once. You can take the same 10 gallons if you don't blow them up and put them in a car that is made for good gas miles, at least 30 miles to the gallon, and the same 10 gallons will take you 300 plus miles down the road. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's not about some big splash and an explosion one-time thing. It's about... Strength and power and anointing and presence for the journey. He provides purity for our soul. We don't like to talk about purity much, but when I was studying for this message and I read in 2 Corinthians that we are to patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities, we have been beaten, put in prison. That would be for all the rest of the Christians around the world that have to endure that. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us. 
by our sincere love. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to look it up. Romans chapter 8, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is, is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And it talks all about that. And then I always go back to the psalmist who said, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I know there are people who say, well, pastor, I hear it all the time. Well, you can't live, I can't live above sin or you can't do it. I'm not even going to argue that point with you today. I just want you to read the scripture and see what God says and see what he asks you to do. And then you, you, you may have to work it out. There may be a besetting sin. There may be something that you need to work on or I need to work on. But, but, but by and large, God's call has always been to righteous and holy living. And the call has always been not to see how low we can make the bar. The call has not always been to see, you know, water always seeks its lowest level. And so do church people a lot of times. It's not to see how close you can live to the world, to see how close you can live to ungodliness and still get to heaven. It's about seeing how close you can live to Christ. <laughs> the writer Paul also wrote to a church at Colossae. He said, clothe yourselves... Be the holy people that God loves. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercies and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance for other people's faults. Forgive the one who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Clothe yourself with love which binds us all together. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The standard is high. Spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ will change everything. And much of how we live on this planet, it will affect every waking minute. He will affect every bit of our spare time. Living in the Spirit will cause us to walk very differently than most of the church world, as I've said before. We have departed way too often from the Word of God, but I would suggest that you get it out and take it in every day and begin to pray, Lord, let me live this out. Let me be what I read. Why would God put stuff in the Bible if it wasn't possible? Why would He dangle the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome temptation or overcome the sins that destroy us and destroy our testimony, destroy our witness if it wasn't possible for the power. I mean, this is the sovereign God who created the world. Are you going to tell me that he can't help us to overcome some things? I know the prevailing theologies of the day say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God's got you. You got your free ticket to hell. I'm just... I'm not even arguing. I'm just saying, think about what God says. Search for Him. Hunger for Him. Long for Him with all your life and all your heart. Adrian Rogers made his way into the former Eastern European countries in the late 80s, early 90s, when communism began to sort of fall and crumble. Those countries had been under communism and dictatorships for decades. And the church doesn't survive very well in a communist state. And so authentic believers have been pushed in what is called the underground church. So they were in hiding. They were That still goes on around the world today in countries, nations. 
they meet people meet in fear of their lives or life imprisonment for following Christ. Rogers was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he went over to speak. Many Americans had, had begged other Americans, please don't go because you'll take our brand of Christianity and you will ruin this healthy, vibrant church that emerged from persecution. You know, when you're persecuted, you get real close to God. When things aren't going so well, all of a sudden we become prayer warriors. And that's the church that emerged. And Rogers was talking to one of the leaders and he said, so what do you, I know you've been like out of media contact and all this stuff here in Eastern Europe. What, what do you hear about the American church? And the man said, well, we hear about commitment. And Rogers said, wow, wow. I didn't think you'd say that. And he said, oh no, don't misunderstand me. What we used to hear about the church was surrender. Now we hear how committed people are. When you and I are committed in our Christian walk, we draw the lines. We say to God, I'll be committed this much. I'll be committed that much. Lord, I love you, but I'm not going that, all the way down that road. <laughs> but when you're surrendered to God, He draws the lines. And he draws you out of yourself. And he says, I'll take you to places that you could never imagine because of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will do things in you and through you that you can't do on your own. That's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. The disciples waited and they were filled. I mean, let me give you one example in closing. I go back to Peter's life. Last time I preached here, I preached about Peter. He's a fascinating character. He was so, so brassy and so bold, and he said things that were ridiculous, and he put his foot in his mouth over and over with Jesus, and yet the Lord loved him. And, and yet this big, bold fisherman, when, when faced with owning up to a relationship with Christ before the crucifixion, he cowered in fear. He loved Jesus. He loved the Lord. He'd done everything he could. He'd said, you're the son of God. He confessed him. But there was something inside of him that wouldn't let him stand up for the Lord. And then I look at Acts chapter 2. <laughs> that this fisherman who couldn't take the pointed finger of a little girl and others who said, you're one of them. He denied that he knew Christ. He was restored by Christ. And he comes out of the upper room. And he stands in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and addresses them with the power and the authority of God and preaches a sermon. And then the next chapter, and the next chapter, so different than what he was before. I'd like us to stand together. You know, sometimes it's just the stuff we gather around us that keeps us from being as close to God as we should be. I, as, the, as they're preparing to play, I, I read of a man who said to his wife, I 
I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on a machine. And she heard him and she got up and she pulled the plug on the TV. <laughs> True story. And I think of all the things that call for our attention. All the devices, all the fun, all the, all the great connection that we can make. And there stands a God who says, I want you. I want your attention. I'm here. I want to work through you. Just look to me. Look to me. If you want to pray today, this place of prayer is open. Thank you for listening to the Life Change Church Podcast. If you were here today and you were listening and you made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to hear about it. Or maybe you're here and you're listening and that God is asking you, to make the next step with whatever that it is in your life. We would love to hear about it and partner up with you. If you would, go to www.mylifechangechurch.com and under the media section, please fill out the contact us information and let us know if you made a decision to follow Christ. Let us know what God is asking of you. And if you need prayer, we would love to partner up with you in prayer as well. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that it both encouraged and challenged you. Have a great week.